Today on Building in Faith with Pastor Ed Jones. Building in Faith. If you look at the 20th century, people looked at men like Stalin, men like Hitler, Mussolini, and said, that's Antichrist. I think it's important to think about why people felt that way. I think in those men, there were characteristics that were surely like Antichrist. And it does give you a glimpse of the cruelty, the meanness that Antichrist is going to have when he comes. Reaching up high with arms open wide, we see you're changing our lives so we can be our heads and Many dubious leaders have wreaked havoc throughout human history. Pastor Ed teaches us in today's message that real-life villains like Hitler, Mussolini, and Stalin only give a glimpse of what we will see when another more deadly man takes the world stage. In Daniel chapter 7, Scripture describes a man called the Antichrist, who will be more destructive than any person who has ever come before him. The Antichrist will be Satan's puppet, and will be given authority over rebellious men as God begins to judge the world for its sins. Now, here's Pastor Ed with part two of today's message entitled, Our God Reigns. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and His kingdom is one that will not be destroyed. One of the truths of prophecy is that with time, we understand it more. For example, if you look in Genesis chapter 1, the promise given to Eve was the seed, her seed, would bruise the head of the serpent. Well, what did that mean? Well, she realized that somehow one of her children would defeat Satan who had defeated them, but she didn't fully understand it. But with time, we have more and more insight into God's plan. And so here in the book of Daniel, you have this picture of the Son of Man riding on the clouds. Now, back then, that would have conveyed the idea of man and deity. Because deity riding on the clouds is, someone coming on the clouds is this idea of a God. Here in the text, he's called the Son of Man. Go back with me to the last night of Jesus. He's brought before the religious leaders. They ask him, are you the Christ? Are you the Messiah? Tell us plainly. Listen to his declarative statement. He reaches back into the Old Testament to the prophecy that Daniel has. And he quotes Daniel in Mark 14 verses 61 to 62. The New Living Translation reads, Jesus was silent and made no reply. Then the high priest asked him, Are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated in the place of power, coming at the right hand, coming on the clouds of heaven. They were outraged at that statement. 
What Jesus was saying is he is the one that Daniel saw in the Old Testament hundreds of years before it ever happened. And remember in chapter 9, at the end of chapter 9, he has this insight that the anointed one would die for the sins of the people. He has this insight into what we call the times of the Gentiles. So here Jesus is declaring he is the son of man. Now, 80 times, over 80 times in the gospel, Jesus is called the son of man. That was his favorite name for himself because he was defining who he was by that terminology. Jewish people had the idea of Messiah was maybe an earthly king, maybe another Caesar, someone to overthrow Rome. Uh, But no, no, no. Jesus is not going to take their definitions and their cultural ideas of who Messiah is. No, he's going back into the Old Testament. He's going back to the book of Daniel. He's saying that the one that Daniel saw coming riding in the clouds is, he is the one. And so Jesus is the Son of Man. In Matthew 24, 30, it reads this. At that time, the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and all the nations of the earth will mourn. They will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. Jesus Christ came the first time as the Lamb of God to die on the cross for our sins. That's what this communion table memorializes. But it also tells us that he's going to take of the cup with us one day because he's going to return. He is fully God and fully man. We don't understand it. Daniel didn't understand it, but we had a greater revelation of what it meant when Jesus came and walked the face of the earth and rose from the dead. Then this everlasting kingdom, you see the Ancient of Days in verse 9. As I looked, thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. That's a referring to God the Father. His clothing was white as snow, speaks of purity. His hair, the hair of his head was white like wool. It's it's his, his perfect purity. His throne was flaming with fire. The idea of judgment. Someday, God is going to come back and judge this world. Now, it calls him the Ancient of Days. In other words... He was there when the very first murder was committed. He was there when every crime, when every act of cruelty, when every wrong was committed by every nation and any people. Some may be able to manipulate the court system if they have enough money. They could find the loopholes in the law. Some dictators and rulers could rule at their own whim and do their own desires and and violate God's eternal law. But there is a day of accountability coming when the Ancient of Days sits on his throne and he rules the world. Now... We as Christians, 
because we have accepted Christ as our Savior, we won't be judged whether we go to heaven or hell because we've been redeemed. But, but, there will be a judgment for us. A judgment of how we used our opportunities for God, how we lived our life for him. We call him Lord. Do we live as though he's Lord? All of us will be judged as how we used our talents and our gifts and how we have lived our lives. Again, it won't be a judgment sending us to hell, but it will be a judgment with rewards. Some are living their lives for this present world. They're living their lives not remembering that we're just passing through this world. We're just here for a moment. And they're building their sand castles in this world as if that is going to be eternal will be judged on how we live out our lives. The ancient of days will right every wrong. He will judge the nations of the world. So that's the everlasting kingdom. Now that's good news for us because in a sense, people don't get away with anything. They don't. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what's right. Then Daniel's thoughts go back outside the courtroom after the Ancient of Days is judging and he can't get that fourth beast out of his mind. And so the text says in verses 19 and 23, God's going to talk to him about that final kingdom, that fourth beast. Then I wanted to know the true meaning of the fourth beast. Now here he is, he's having this vision, this encounter with God, and he's not fully understanding things. And how do we expect to fully understand everything? In the end of Daniel, it says these things were written, sealed up. There's some things we understand, some things we don't. But what we do understand should motivate us to live for eternity rather than just the moment. It says, then I wanted to know the true meaning of the fourth beast, which was different from all others and most terrifying with his iron teeth, bronze claws, a beast that crushed and devoured its victims, trampled underfoot whatever was left. That sounds like the very much the Roman Empire. He gave me this explanation. The fourth beast is a fourth kingdom And again, Bible scholars are thinking of it as the revised Roman Empire. The fourth beast is a fourth kingdom that will appear on earth. It will be different from all other kingdoms. And I think, again, in part, that's referring to its coming back to life, its cruelty as well, its power, and its extensive rule. From all other kingdoms, and will devour the whole earth, trampling it down and crushing it. Now, in this... It describes it as ten horns which refer to kingdoms and kings. And here is a picture of Antichrist. We have a picture of him in 2 Thessalonians, the second chapter. 
in Revelation, and you could read especially Revelation chapter 13. But we're going to look at Daniel. Watch what it says in verse 11 of chapter 7. Then I continued to watch because of the boastful words the horn was speaking. And again, horn is referring to a king and a kingdom that he's ruling over. I kept looking until the beast was slain, its body destroyed, thrown into the blazing fire. This is speaking of judgment. So the Antichrist is going to be defeated by God. Now, it says, the other beast had been stripped of their authority. Now, that has this idea that somehow those other nations continued in some way, whether it was their laws, whether it was each nation building on one another, like we were influenced by Greek culture, well, we're influenced by previous nations. It says, going back up, now if you look at verse 8, while I was thinking about the horns, there before me was another horn, a little one, which came up among them, and three of the first horns were uprooted before it. In other words, he overthrew three kings or three kingdoms. This horn had eyes, notice what the text says, like the eyes of a man. What it was saying in the text was this, he looked like a man, implying that he wasn't a man. Satan tries to copy God. Jesus came, he was God in the flesh. When Satan, Antichrist comes, it will be like Satan incarnating in a man, controlling him. So the Antichrist is someone controlled by Satan, dominated by Satan. He looked, he had the eyes of a man, but uh, something wasn't. This horn had eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth that spoke boastfully. I want to talk just real briefly about Antichrist. If you look at the 20th century, people looked at men like Stalin, men like Hitler, Mussolini, and said, that's Antichrist. I think it's important to think about why people felt that way. I think in those men, there were characteristics that were surely like Antichrist. And it does give you a glimpse of the cruelty, the meanness that Antichrist is going to have when he comes. Now think about all the people that Hitler murdered, Jews and Christians. Think about Mussolini. Think about Stalin. They're all pictures of what Antichrist is going to look like when he comes. I want to make this comment, and I want you to just listen carefully. I want to take a little bit of a side road here. Our hope is not in the governments of our world. Our hope is not in a political candidate. Before you are an American, you are a Christian. We are followers of Christ first. Then we are citizens of our land. Our allegiance is first to the kingdom of God. When the lawless one comes, 
He says that he's going to change times and seasons. That is a reference to changing the way God made things. During the French Revolution, they tried to change a seven-day work week into a ten-day. Tried to do a whole bunch of other things. You could see in our nation this disregard for the way God intended things to be. He put our law, his law in our heart and our soul. He put it inside of us intuitively. We have a sense of right and wrong. We can deaden it. And what this Antichrist is going to do is change things the way God intended it to be and to disrupt things. Notice the text. Boastful, proud. The spirit of Antichrist has been in the world since the time of John the Apostle. And we see various manifestations of it throughout history. And we see times of intensity. And as we approach the coming of Christ, I believe we'll see an intensity of that spirit in this world. Our nation, we're walking down a road of folly. In Germany, before the Second World War, there were more PhD per capita than any other country. In America... We're putting an emphasis on education, and I think it's important. But, you know, people are learning online. They're getting more degrees and more schools. Fine, you know, good. But I don't mean to be coarse, but we're becoming so foolish. We don't have common sense. The only reason that our nation has what it has We're not going to make this nation great by simply pulling ourselves up by the bootstraps and say, oh, we're going to do it. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't work at things, we shouldn't think about things, we shouldn't discuss things, that we shouldn't be, you know, engaging and making our, our country better. But I am saying this. It's our moral laws It's our adherence to what the Bible teaches. It's the values of the kingdom that we must put first. Our greatness isn't because we are greater than any other people. We're not. Our greatness is because a great God in heaven, only God is great. A great God in heaven has looked down on favor with his nation And what this nation needs to do is get on its knees and pray and say, Lord, have mercy on us. Lord, have mercy on us. Lord, have mercy on us. It is folly and foolishness to simply think in our own strength, in our own wisdom, we're going to solve all the problems. If my people which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then, then, then I will hear from heaven and heal their land. One of the things that I want you to see is, I know I've got to go quickly, is that the Antichrist is going to fight against the church, fight against the saints, 
these world systems, these beasts, fight against God. Now, Nebuchadnezzar was humbled by God, and he acclaimed to God, but, but, and Daniel was able to navigate in all of that stuff. But what the Bible is teaching, even at this moment, it's saying this, there is an ongoing conflict that the people of God have with the world that they live in. It doesn't mean we retreat. It doesn't mean that we act odd. But it does mean that because we are followers of Jesus Christ and because we take the cross of Jesus Christ on our shoulders, we will be persecuted in this present world. We're just passing through. We are our pilgrims. We are not living for the gold at the end of the rainbow. We're looking and living for that city whose builder and maker is God. Someday, the one who is the truth, the way, and the life, the God who cannot lie, his words will come to pass. He said, the meek will inherit the earth. It doesn't work that way in the elections. But I tell you, it will work that way when God returns. The meek will inherit the earth. Listen to what the book says. The saints of God received the kingdom. As I watched the horn that was waging war against the saints, defeating them, even that's in the plan of God. Listen, God knew that they were going to be Christians in Egypt executed. He knew that the 20th century was going to be the bloodiest century for believers. More Christians killed in that century than any other century. But remember, we're more than just earthly beings. We're eternal, and we will live forever. And there is a crown to those who are martyred for their faith. The early church went into a coliseum, faced the lions with confidence because they knew on the other side of death was eternal life. They knew on the other side of being burned at a stake was eternal life. This is real. And it should motivate us to serve God, to run after God, to live our lives for God in the midst of a world that is living for the moment. We need to live for eternity. As I watched, this horn was waging war against the saints, defeating them until the Ancient of Days came and pronounced judgment in favor of the saints, the Most High. And the time came when they possessed the kingdom. He closes this chapter in Daniel 7. Then the sovereignty, power, and greatness of the kingdoms are that the whole heaven will be handed over to the saints, the people of the Most High. His kingdom, God's kingdom, will be an everlasting kingdom, and all rulers will worship and obey him. This is the end of the matter. That's how it's concluded. He's coming back. He's going to reign, and we're going to reign with him. We come to a communion table that speaks about the broken body and the blood of Jesus Christ. He loved us so much that he gave us his very best. And he's coming back for us. If he died for us and he promised, I will come back, I will return, he keeps his word. He doesn't work on our timetable, but he keeps his word. Someday, that eastern sky, he's going to break through coming on clouds of glory with the saints of God. We're going to be caught up to be with him. 
just as the Bible says. Well, that's all the time we have for today's edition of Building in Faith with Pastor Ed Jones of Faith Assembly in Poughkeepsie, New York. There's more to come from Pastor Ed's series in the book of Daniel. We encourage you to download today's message again to review. Simply log on to buildinginfaithradio.com and select today's date from the Building in Faith media player. Again, that's buildinginfaithradio.com. Maybe today's message brought a family member or friend to mind. You can share today's message via Facebook and Twitter by simply logging on to buildinginfaithradio.com and clicking on today's date. There, you'll find all the options to share. Now, we'd like to invite you to join us at Faith Assembly for worship on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. or Wednesday evenings at 7 p.m. For driving directions and more information, log on to buildinginfaithradio.com and follow the link to Faith Assembly. Or feel free to give us a call at 845-462-5955. That's 845-462-5955. Well, that's all the time we have for today. You've been listening to Building in Faith with Dr. Ed Jones. We invite you to join Pastor Ed as he continues teaching through the Word of God right here on Building in Faith. Your Word Restore